trust is one of those things. It, it kind of is forcefully built really fast as, as a blind skier or a visually impaired skier. Like it's always a question that people ask and like, how do you, how do you get to trust someone new right away? And like the, the short answer is you really don't have a choice. Welcome to Unspoken Bravery. I'm your host, Aaron Milzinski, a multiple time Olympian. Skiing started as my first love and quickly became my greatest teacher. This podcast is meant to take a deep dive behind the capes of our everyday superheroes and find out what's under the brave spirits, the fearless feats, and the nerves of steel. It's normal to feel fear. Hardships lurk around every corner. And yet these roadblocks can be met with a challenger's mindset and turned into wonderful gifts. It's time to celebrate imperfections, to build bravery from setbacks, and to take our goals to the next level. So let's dive right in. Hello, hello. Welcome to Unspoken Bravery, Episode 6. Happy Holidays and Merry Christmas. Talking to my next two guests came as an early Christmas gift for me. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Mac Marcoux and his guide, Tristan Rogers. Mac was born in Sault Ste. Marie and loved all things motorsports and outdoors. But he began to lose his eyesight at age nine due to Stargardt's disease. It's a rare genetic disease which causes degeneration of the macula, causing central vision loss. Basically, if you hold your fists in front of your face and touch your thumbs to your nose, this is the part that Matt can't see. But he can see peripherally like a donut, but only 6%. In 2007, Mac was declared legally blind at 9 or 10 years old. But since then, Mac's journey has been amazing. He has over 50 World Cup podiums, the first of which was at age 15. He has five Paralympic medals. In 2021, he won the Canadian Snow Sports Athlete of the Year Award, which is very prestigious, and names such as Nancy Green and Michael Kingsbury have won in the past. He's also pushing the limits for visually impaired snowmobiling, mountain biking, and free skiing, and made history as he starred in the short film Blind Faith as the first legally blind athlete to free ski at this level. It's amazing. Generally, Mac is just an extremely funny and nice guy, and he's the first to offer a warm smile and a laugh. Tristan is Mac's guide. He's from Ottawa, Ontario, and skied out of Mont-Tremblant, Quebec, and he's completely bilingual. Tristan became Mac's guide in 2018, and the duo went on to win their first eight races in a row. He combines skiing, mental training, working out, and schoolwork, as he is an engineering student at the University of Ottawa. Tristan loves mountain biking, and really anything outdoors and adventure. But generally, he's just the kindest human and the best friend. Tristan also guides Mac in some of his mountain biking and backcountry skiing pursuits. Welcome, Tristan and Mac, to Unspoken Bravery. Heck yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Aaron. I named this episode The Dudes. <laughs> That's really like my dudes. I've... Uh, <laughs> I remember watching Mac, I'm older than you, but I've watched you grow up and I remember them always looking for guides for you. And we're like, no one can be his guide. They have to be so fast. And like, you were <laughs> constantly the conversation on the chairlift. So it's been really cool, but we'll just start with Mac a little. Can you just introduce yourself? Tell us about your past. Obviously it's a really important part of your current story. Yeah. Heck yeah. Um, <laughs> my name is Mac Marcoux. I'm a visually impaired skier with the Canadian Para Alpine Ski Team now. I grew up in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, or just north of Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, and Gouli River. God's um, country. That's it. Yeah, just out on Hatton Bay in the middle of nowhere. And I had a pretty interesting childhood, I think. We, we lived far enough north of town that we didn't really take part in lots of uh, the sports that lots of kids were playing, like hockey, soccer, football, that sort of deal just because it didn't make sense to try and commute back and forth to town. So uh, we were integrated into motorsports pretty quickly. <laughs> so we, uh, yeah, we kind of, instead of going to play soccer and hockey, we were riding dirt bikes or snowmobiles or just getting up to all sorts of shenanigans in the bush. My brother, my sister and I, and a couple of cousins were uh, <laughs> pretty much just building forts and 
disappearing into the bush for hours on end every day. And uh, yeah, I think as I grew up a little bit more, um, we spent a lot of time fishing as a family and, and skied a little bit on weekdays. We had a ski hill that is now closed probably 15 years ago, but it was called Buttermilk Ski Hill. And it was maybe 300 foot vertical. It uh, had a couple street lights on it and it was really cheap night skiing. So we'd go twice a week uh, throughout the winter as a family. And other than that, we kind of grew up racing go-karts for the most part. That was our, uh, that was our one sport of choice that we were actually doing this competition. And um, we raced oval carts in Michigan right up until I was eight years old when, uh, yeah, my, my life changed a bit. Uh, my vision started to deteriorate kind of throughout my fourth grade school year. And my teacher actually noticed before anybody else did because just cause I, uh, was struggling to see my textbooks and was really, I couldn't see the board kind of one month to the next. Like I had moved one desk forward and by the time the next month rolled around, I'd move another desk forward and, you know, within the span of a couple months, my went from the back of the class to, to the front. And then uh, by the time I'd slid my desk right up underneath the chalkboard and was staring up at it and still struggling, she uh, she called my parents and said, you know, Mac's struggling to see. And that began a pretty long journey trying to get diagnosed and figure out what was going on. But eventually I uh, got the diagnosis and I was diagnosed with Stargardt disease, which uh, took all my central vision and left me with 6% in my peripheral so far. So, uh, yeah, kind of changed the direction that we were going from racing go-karts. We just kind of obviously stopped racing in the States just for liability reasons and um, looked into sports for visually impaired athletes. And we managed to stumble across ski racing. Actually, first off, we were looking at Nordic skiing and, you know, Brian McKeever. <laughs> it's crazy, but Brian McKeever was... Uh, it was a huge kind of role model for me because he had star guards and he had, you know, achieved so much in his Paralympic career at that time. And yeah, our first thought was like, let's just be like Brian and, and try to try this to rad because he's so sick. And, uh, and someone from Alpine Canada, actually JF, uh, was the athletic director at the time in 2000. I don't even know what it would have been 2008, 2009, somewhere there had seen an article somewhere that, I was, you know, I was losing my vision. I grew up racing go-karts and had known kind of about my community of Sault Ste. Marie because we have a ski out there and there's a little ski race program that was, that was kicking off. And, uh, he called my mom and asked if we'd ever kind of considered alpine skiing. And at that time we didn't even realize that it was a, a sport for visually impaired athletes. So we, uh, we got some videos emailed to us from, uh, Brian Law. And uh, it was all videos of Chris Williamson, who is now retired, but was a teammate and was probably one of my biggest role models as a visually impaired skiers. And uh, he pretty much wrote the book on uh, skiing blind. So uh, yeah, cool. after a couple of videos, we were like, heck yeah, let's jump into that. And uh, we started ski racing at Searchmont that winter with the uh, Searchmont ski runners and uh, <laughs> from there things just snowballed we fell in love with the sport right away and i raced able-bodied northern ontario for a long time started racing para in 2011 just when i got old enough to uh to compete my vision deteriorated enough that i had to start skiing with a guide we went out to nationals to see how things would go and two weeks after that we made it to our first uh training camp with the with the development program for the national team and with your brother that was with my brother yeah and from there, it just kind of snowballed to fast forward 10 years later. And here we are. <laughs> what have you, you've had three guides, but then one guide stepped in when your brother couldn't race Sochi. Yeah. I've had uh, like, I'd say four kind of long-term guides and then many kind of in and around that have stepped in at important times when, uh, when we needed uh, help, either somebody was hurt or um, there was a lot of kind of transition period between guides or we tried out a few, a uh, few humans. So I've definitely skied with many people, but uh, my brother, Rob, Jack, and Tristan have been uh, kind of in for the long haul. And that brings us to Tristan. Can you yeah. tell us how you found this opportunity, how they found you about your past? I think your past is really cool with your parents, but anything you can tell us would be amazing. Yeah. I think I was just really at the right place at the right time, you know, got really lucky to have this opportunity to ski with Mac. 
Um, I was racing at the time, kind of 2018, I guess it would have been as a kind of just racing with my dad out of the Mont Tremblant Ski Club. And the head coach at Trauma was Max, old, old coach from CPAST, and uh, had been alerted that Jack was going to retire and kind of encouraged me to give it a shot. So, yeah, that June, I uh, flew to Mount Hood, met Mac and the rest of the team. And, yeah, the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. But it's also, I mean, I've watched you guys ski. I've, you've trained with us. And I've watched your free ski movie, Blind Faith as well. And you're a rad skier. And so what made you, I've heard you say that this is a blessing and you just said things happen at the right time, but I don't really believe in just circumstances happening, but what made you really jump on it? I guess, because you're really amazing skier in your own right. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I, when I was a kid, or a kid, I started racing, I guess, at 14, so pretty late. But throughout my U16 fifth years, I just, like, I really loved ski racing. And, like, I just wanted to be good enough to, like, continue doing it. Like, to get my points low enough that it's, like, justifiable for me to do another year. Or, like, I'm good enough to join the university team or something like that. And I think that you know, when you get to 16, 17 years old, you kind of know, like, if you're going to make it or not. And I think, like, I was definitely not fast enough to race, like, on that path of provincial team, national team. So I think my driving factor was just, like, a place where I could be supported financially, like, a place where I didn't have to fork out a ton of money to, to pursue this sport. And, um, like an opportunity that like I could stay involved and continue skiing and continue to have like this passion and enjoyment for the sport because yeah, I was, I guess 19 and like, definitely if this hadn't happened, I would be probably retired or coaching somewhere or something. And I think I was just, yeah, obviously really lucky to have this chance, but also like there's nothing else that I would have rather I wouldn't rather be doing anything other than ski racing. So for me, like to be given a chance to stay involved in the sport and turn it down just did not make any sense. Or I read something Max said, and you said that when someone's guiding you, you have to trust them completely. And that trust is built extremely quickly because obviously you completely rely on each other safety wise. And if you don't trust each other, you kind of have nothing. And I completely agree with that. And I said something similar because I was invited on a backcountry trip and knew nothing. Um, And I'm not a very brave person like you two are. And I felt the same thing. You just build these relationships so quickly because you're thrown into situations where your safety relies on each other. But can you talk a little bit about the trust you have for each other and like how that's built and kind of what goes into it, I guess? Trust is one of those things that it kind of is forcefully built really fast as, as a blind skier or a visually impaired skier. Like it's always a question that people ask and like, how do you, how do you get to trust someone new right away? And like the, the short answer is you really don't have a choice <laughs> um, kind of right off the bat, you know, you get to know somebody, you get a feel for who they are and who they are as a skier, but a lot of it, like, you know, trust is something that you have to build over time. And for the first couple, you know, couple days, couple weeks, you're really just learning who each other are like as skiers, as people. And, you know, not only are we spending a ton of time together skiing, but we're spending a ton of time together off snow, you know, because Tristan's also not just a super sick skier and a super sweet guy, but, you know, he turns into almost forcefully being just best buds because you spend so much time together. And I think right off the bat, you're just, like you said, you're put in a situation where, you're forced to kind of rely on the people around you, like in a backcountry situation where, you know, if you're a little bit more green and there's people around you with experience, like I know I do the same thing a lot of the time with, with kind of my friends and crew in the backcountry when I'm looking around and I'm like, you know what, like I'm going to do what you guys tell me to do because I don't know what to do. (laughs) And and in skiing, it's kind of the same way. Like I have an idea of what I need. So if I can relay that to Tristan kind of right off the bat or whoever's guiding right off the bat, and then 
you just kind of work with it from there. It takes a little bit of time, but slowly that confidence is built. And I think when you can see someone's a really confident skier, it really instills trust in you, like in within yourself to like kind of just talk and hope and talk <laughs> in behind them and learn, learn kind of as you go, because everyone skis differently a little bit and it's going to take a little bit of adjustment, but as long as kind of the foundations there, you just kind of know that you'll be able to build on it with mileage. Well, first, Tristan, you're in front. So what would be, I can kind of picture what you would be saying as a skier as well, but first of all, what would you kind of be saying or what would you, is it more like your body positions and your body language as well? That's so important. Like I think the communication between us, obviously like we talk a lot. I try and be as vocal as I can about like the train, the light, the course, all that stuff. But I think most of it is nonverbal, like just to appear confident and for Mac to see someone like charging the course, like just really fills him with like that feeling like, okay, if, if he's charging, then, then I'm going to be okay. You know, like, or if he sees me like kind of be really gentle and like kind of subtle and not so sure of myself, then it's not overly confidence inspiring for Mac because, you know, my body language has to be, you know, always kind of aggressive and, and for Mac to follow someone who looks confident is so much more important than, you know, like the communication that we have. Um, obviously it's really important for me to talk and say all the right things because if, if I go over a role and I go like, Oh crap, you know, like the first thing Mac's going to do is like, stomp on the brakes and and you know obviously our run is pretty much ruined so the the verbal piece is obviously very important but the non-verbal communication I think goes a long way yeah yeah I think like feeding feeding off off the kind of body language and the energy um that kind of Tristan puts off is pretty much a make a break of runs and full training days race days like if you're you're skiing apprehensive you don't have to tell me when you're skiing apprehensive that like, I don't even, I don't mean to, but I obviously pump the brakes a little bit as well compared to if someone's charging, you kind of feeding off that kind of positive momentum and just jumping in the same boat. It's uh, it's kind of, it's one of those things that you, you could relate to in kind of any different way. Like if you're with a group of people and they're super confident in what they're doing and you can be confident in what you're doing as well. But if everyone's a little apprehensive or scared, it, it just kind of, you feed off that energy around you. Yeah. I think like for you, like watching someone, let's say you can see a really tight hairpin and then lower Amelia skis it really well. And then you're like, Oh, if they can do it, then I definitely got this, you know, or if someone like goes in and speed checks, then you start kind of questioning that process and questioning yourself. So yeah, to just be really confident and aggressive, maybe not aggressive is the right word, but just confident with my body language, I think is a big part of it. Yeah. And I can, I mean, I'm sitting here and I think I ski really confidently in training and I hold back more in racing. So if Mac was behind me, you would feed off that in a race. And so do you fake it till you make it? Do you have huge mental cues? Like how do you actually get to that point, both of you to feed off each other's energy? And I mean, what can the rest of us learn from you? Oh my God. That's so funny that you say that because like I grew up racing in Quebec, right? Like I'd never had a chance to do super G downhill. And the first time that I'd ever been on super G skis was with Mac behind me. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, here we go. I guess I'm doing this. And it was kind of that. It was just like fake it till you make it and, and just trying to learn and explore. And, but yeah, I think once all of those things are sorted, like you've got to be confident in yourself. I think um, you can only go so far with that saying <laughs> yeah you can only fake so much yeah <laughs> um yeah like that's a good point when tristan started skiing with us like i was at this point predominantly a speed skier <laughs> and uh tristan hadn't speed speed at all and we you know what you have to like we had to take a little bit of time to actually allow tristan just to learn how things work you know like lots of things in speed even though it's a faster and a little bit gnarlier of a beast in its own way it's a lot more gentle and a lot more supple, if you will. You know, you're really rolling and working with patience compared to in GS and Solemn where you're like, oh, I don't have time. So just allowing him to kind of 
toy with that for a long time, kind of our first camp in Chile. And by the end of the camp, we had things pretty dialed in. And fortunately, I guess in a silver lining would be, I guess I was hurt rolling after January or after November in the following season that Tristan just started, started guiding. So he started in June and November. I, uh, I had gotten injured and allowed Tristan to kind of. I just skied downhill the whole winter. Yeah, I did as much super G downhill as I could. And yeah, I just got as good at it as I could for when Mac up healthy again. <laughs> and now we're dialed. Yeah, it worked yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. And I want to, I hope you're okay telling the story, but can you tell the story from your first race together and kind of what that was like and how trust kind of came to play i think that that's a really cool story go ahead yeah our first race we had done one i think one prep camp we'd done some prep in december in pano yeah and that was yeah december 2019 because <laughs> mac was just getting off of a knee surgery or a scope no, no. oh my back your back that was your back yeah, my back the first time yeah sorry so <laughs> Yeah, we, we'd done one prep camp and we kind of just showed up. Obviously, we we had done some race simulation and stuff and we're feeling obviously good about where we were skiing wise. But I think the the key for those races is like we kind of sat down with our coaches and they said, listen, you guys never raced together. Like we're not expecting anything. You just go out there, see how it feels, you know, see how it goes, see what we can improve on. and." yeah, just kind of play it by ear. And, and so we went in and just like kind of had fun with it and it. just did an inspection, had a really good plan of what we wanted to accomplish. It was a super G in Vesana. We'd had a really, really good, actually really good GS training day the, the day before and yeah. kind of got used to the terrain on that speed hill. But yeah, we were just like, yeah, the coaches don't expect us to do anything. Like, let's just go out there and have fun. And yeah, ended up winning and then winning again and again. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. It snowballed into kind of a pretty wild race series, but like Tristan kind of nailed it right on the head with uh, the fact that like rolling in sometimes with kind of not these preset expectations and just kind of seeing what the day brings sometimes promotes the best skiing. I think for, for us, like we, like we ski the best when we're having fun and just enjoying the ride and, um, I think just building all this external pressure and it's kind of been how I've, how I've kind of handled races my whole career is just, there's no point in kind of building all these expectations up in your heads. Yes. Like obviously you're going there to charge and, and try to put down the best run you can, but that's pretty much the best, <laughs> the best way to set your expectation. That's what your game plan is. It's not going there for results. It's for me, it's just going, trying to ski the best we could on that day. And, you know, if we made mistakes, we learned a lot of things. And if we came out on top or, or somewhere near the box, we also learned a lot of things. So it's pretty fun and it allows you to kind of not just get overwhelmed with the, uh, the external pressures that can be put on, uh, on ski racing. I'm so glad you brought this up because I put internal pressures on myself. I take on all the external pressures and it kind of makes me, what you're explaining is that amazing freedom to just go ski. And I love to ski, but I hate when I'm forcing it. And I hate when I come down and I know that I have forced a run. It's not, we've all done it, but it's not fun. Yeah. That's what I know about you too. You, you have a lot of pressure. You have sponsors, you have so many podiums. You are our golden child. <laughs> I don't know if <laughs> but, I'd say that. <laughs> and it's so cool to hear that Sault Ste. Marie after the Olympics, they met you in the airport. It's a tiny airport. They filled it to capacity. Like yeah. it's amazing, but you could feel pressure, but you just say, I love to ski. I'm going to do this until I don't love it anymore. And I'm going to go perform the best I can, but how it, does this just come naturally or how do you do that? No, I definitely, it did not come naturally. <laughs> it was, I've learned it early, which I'm, I'm so fortunate in, in that sense. Like when I was skiing with my brother, we were kind of a little more on the throttle, like just trying to get, trying to get laps in, putting in mileage. And that's where you are. And when you're, I guess at the beginning of your career, and I was super young compared to all the rest of the athletes on the national team. And I think the next youngest athlete would have been Braden. And he was 
I don't even know, he's six years older than me or something like that. So we were uh, just trying to hold on for dear life and, and learn as much as we could and get more laps in than everybody else and just, you know, put in the mileage. And then when it came to races, we were, you know, pretty much a couple of basket cases. We were freaking out and and uh, just trying to really make sure that we did the best we could and kind of prove to the coaches and the rest of the team that we kind of deserve to be there and, I think when kind of things turned around was just before uh, Sochi when uh, my brother had skied with me um, throughout kind of my whole pair career from 2011 up and he started racing able-bodied when I started in 2008. So just, you know, having him alongside kind of my whole building of my ski career from our first races in the power world. And we learned how to ski together. And, you know, our main goal was to try and make it to the, to the Paralympics in Sochi and you know at one point it didn't really seem feasible and somehow some way I think with the right opportunity and mindset we made our way kind of to the point where we were 10 days out of the games and we were we were going and he ended up with struggling a little bit with a back injury a little bit previously that season and his back let go when we were kind of in our prep camp for the games and he could barely get out of bed and stand up and he's putting socks on just wasn't an option and it was really, you know, depressing and a little bit, it was a lot because, you know, you work a lot as a team to get to, to one kind of big event and the circumstances had changed like very short from when we needed to, to keep being social and perform. And Rob stepped in as, as my guide. And, you know, there was this huge change in the whole team dynamic with even Rob was guiding Chris Williamson at the time. So Chris, knew that I'd skied with Rob in the past because somehow Chris and BJ had gotten hurt at the same time in the season before. And me and Rob skied together through a couple of World Cups. And that way, I, if I skied with Rob, it was a little bit more comfortable because I had skied with him before. And he offered to fly in his backup guide who skied with him in 2010 in Vancouver. So um, that was just a huge move in general. Like that was, it was so cool just to have that wow. opportunity and Rob to, you know, be able to ski with me and Chris be okay with that. And then that was kind of the first time I heard the coaches say like, Hey, listen, like there's no expectations here. You know, we're going in here kind of the world just flipped upside down a little bit and, you know, you plan for a, and now we're at B and uh, B wasn't even on the, on the table last week. So we're just going to wing it and see what happens. And, uh, I think that was the biggest learning curve for me in a very short amount of time. You know, we got there and Rob was the perfect guy for the job because he is so lighthearted and a super fun dude to be around. And he just made everything super enjoyable and, and easy. Like nothing seemed stressful. So we jumped into a couple of training runs and um, we ended up landing a bronze in, in the downhill on the first day and then in the super G as well. And then, uh, you know, fast forward through the games, a couple of BNFs and in the slaloms <laughs> and, uh, and then we'd won the, won the GS. And I think when at the end of the games, we had this kind of big moment of reflection, they're talking about like, what is the biggest lesson we learned? I think like learning to ski stress-free in a way, like without the external pressure and just going out to see what we could do. We um, performed really well and it was a lot more fun. And kind of from there forward, it's just became the mentality. Yeah, I think the cool part about pressure, like you don't let people down on race day. You know, you let people down when you're in the gym and you're cutting corners or you have a bad day of training and you just write it off. You say, I'm done. I'm going to the lodge. You know, Mac knows that I like I work as hard as I can to be the best version of myself. And if it happens that, you know, we're racing and I fall down for some reason or make a mistake then you know he he really knows that I've done everything I could and and that goes both ways you know so uh, it's it's funny because that kind of conscience and the knowledge that like you did your kind of sounds so cheesy but you really did your best you know (laughs) you did your best (laughs) I think that takes so much pressure off because like come race day you can just ski and and watch it all unfold yeah that's that's really beautiful honestly (laughs) i'm sitting here with a smile on my face because i'm like wow you guys could teach people so much and stand i wish you were in the start with me and just like aaron and throw some truths my way 
That's yeah, really cool. <laughs> We're not doing I, anything right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really loved watching Blind Faith. I watched it again today. <laughs> Maybe because backcountry, I had an experience and it was so cool, but also so scary. And you guys made history. It's so cool to watch you pushing the boundaries of so many sports that aren't Paralympic sports and to kind of pave the way for that. And to go and free ski as a visually impaired athlete down runs like the coffin. It should be like a quadruple black. It shouldn't even be a, like, why do they have double? There should be more, but (laughs) I think that's so cool. But I mean, first of all, Tristan, you, have you still finished every run that you've guided in racing? Yeah, hundred percent. So straddled far. one super G get. Oh yeah, but I still finished. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but then this movie opens with you just disappearing basically off a cliff in the coffin, it's called. And it just made me think how dangerous it is, how much you guys have to trust each other, but how amazing it is when you're pushing the boundaries. And I don't know, that's it's just for me, it's amazing to watch that. And what was that experience like for you? Yeah, I think it was like super unique. We we kind of came off that race series in January 2020 um feeling good, like we had a good series, we were skiing well, skiing fast, which was awesome. And then we were just like chucked into this world <laughs> of unknown free ride terror. Um and it was like the most awesome thing ever because I think we'd, we'd gotten to a point where we knew what worked and what didn't work inside the B-nets. And like, we knew how to ski fast. We knew how to ski terrain. We knew how to ski GS, super G downhill, but we would no idea how to free ski, like free ride skiing. Like neither of us had really done it before, never mind together. And yeah, <laughs> it was, it was just like this amazing place of unknown. And like that, movie or film or documentary whatever you want to call it really truly is mac and i just figuring it out like we stepped into the coffin neither of us had ever skied it (laughs) it was scraped out it was dark it was scary and like yeah it was just very raw yeah it was very raw i think that (laughs) that that was the coolest part for us like i think like for me I've, i've been obsessed with free skiing obviously since I was a little kid you know growing up watching every ski movie that ever came out and still watching every ski movie and every short edit that comes out like I watch ski videos every night all until I fall asleep (laughs) and and I've been obsessed with the world of free skiing but also like you know so many different sports that have just kind of infatuated my brain like snow snowmobiling and and like freestyle motocross and mountain biking and like all these sports that I've just been obsessed with since you know, you're the, you're a little kid and you're watching it on TV and I don't know what clicked in my brain, but it's so cool. <laughs> and uh, I think having the opportunity to go and do this, you know, with blind faith, like obviously we, we ski race and that's, that's what we do. And it, there was a point where it was super uncomfortable. And I think that was, you know, that's the most fun part of learning to ski races when you're um, terrified, <laughs> you're scared, you're throwing on speed skis for the first time, or you're like, like I can remember back to when I like finally got on a like a normal like fist length pair of skis and I was like oh my god like from slalom even in, in GS skis where I was like I'm gonna die out here <laughs> and uh, I think that feeling of like learning the process is so much fun and in the free ski world we you can watch 300,000 videos but like it's not what it looks like at all it's not as easy as it looks and we were just kind of like Tristan said chucked into this environment and it was so much fun just getting to kind of relearn how to ski (laughs) and uh and that like element of of raw you know there's not being at on both sides to catch you before you go into the bush or something to stop you from smacking rocks (laughs) and uh you know falling the wrong direction and like kind of some exposed areas, there's a lot of risk to be had. And I think that was just another layer of, of fun, you know, when you come out the bottom and you're just like, Oh, okay. that was sweet. Um, and we're still kicking. So let's do it again. It's so, so much fun. And I think it's like the most freeing feeling like this scared part on top when you're like almost numb and then you come out the bottom and you're just overwhelmed with stoke. <laughs> it's like, you're just like, I, 
on top of the world. And like the more times we can recreate that, the better. Yeah. I think like we talked a little bit about trust and doing that film was so good for that aspect of our relationship because like I'd ski something and then kind of turn around and Mac made it at the bottom and like, wow, he, he actually did that, you know, like <laughs> he's just fine. And I think like some of those turns in super G where like, you know, it's, it's a hard turn, it's chattering. And, you know, I'm like, Oh my God, this is really difficult. Like Mac's going to be okay. You know, he's a strong skier. And I think that that was a really good experience for me to build trust um, with Mac because at the end of the day, like, he's visually impaired, but he's just as good as everybody else. You know, he just happens to have this impairment that makes him qualify for this category. But other than that, it's just, it's phenomenal. Like how strong of a skier he is and how much I learned about his capabilities through that film. And mentally too. (laughs) (laughs) Like mental capabilities too, because as you said, sometimes you stand at the top of something and you're numb and you're like, your brain's like how, I don't know what's happening, but you're, literally standing up there sometimes with like blind faith as the title says, because you can't, you have to process what Tristan or someone else is telling you. Mm-hmm. And then you also have to trust yourself because no matter what he tells you, you have to be like, okay, I'm going to execute. And sometimes it's happening fast. Like yeah. when you're going down a speed race, it's happening at 120 kilometers an hour and you're right behind him on his tail. By the time <laughs> he tells you something, you could already be past yeah. where you are. And in the back country, I mean, the backcountry that it's not red, blue, red, blue with safety crew at the bottom and in between nets. No, no. And like, thankfully that when we did Blind Faith and, and, and we're doing all the filming, it was still inbounds in, in Whistler, which is sick. Because it's like as close as you can get to being kind of off the beaten path while still being close enough to, <laughs> like if I needed help, it was cool because there's something there compared to like, you know, stuff I've been doing since then, you know, we filmed that in 2020. Mm-hmm. 2020 and it's now 2022 almost and I think last winter I spent a lot of time in the backcountry and and the season before even like I spent a lot more time snowmobiling than I do skiing these days and that's just because I ride with a bunch of guys that like to sled more than they'll never give me time to slap skis on and and have some fun but uh... Lenny's the same I showed Lenny your videos and he's like oh my goodness I'm like okay we'll have to meet you up in God's country. Yeah. Sometimes. Please hit me up. <laughs> um, but yeah, that feeling of like trusting yourself is kind of what everything boils down to, you know, like whether you're standing at the top of a downhill run and you're like that same feeling of just numb because it, you know what to do and you have to trust that you know what to do, but there's also that like, what if that you keep like shoving down in the back of your head, you're like, mm, get away. Um, <laughs> so it's like how do I stay just like for me I try to stay distracted as much as I can because I do have a tendency to overthink things if I wait too long like I'm very much a three two one go kind of person um like get a game plan step away from the start and then try and arrive at the start pretty much last minute like I don't want to stand in the start I hate course holds it's my it's my uh it's my least favorite thing is when we're standing there and I have to immediately start joking around and talking to people because if not I just sit there and go through the course over and over again. And the same thing happens. Like I think anyone can relate to it when they're about to do something scary. Like for me, like mountain biking, for example, like standing on the top of the, some of like these big drops that we're thinking about in Whistler in the bike park. I remember when dirt merchant just opened and I was like, Oh my God, this trail's big. And I was trying to get my buddies that had come out from Ontario to kind of tow me in and nobody was keen um so I was like well, we're here now anyway so I remember like standing on the drop and looking at it and then okay and then like rolling up slow one time and then just like wheeling back up and just had to link it together like three two one go because like you can't have that time to overthink things so like really just trusting that you know what to do and just once you put yourself in a situation where it's full pin like you're committed now you just and the more times you come out of it okay the more that trust builds kind of inside and then you know having somebody like Tristan in front of you on a speed track is that double extra peace of mind that even though you know what to do he's going to tell you what to do which makes it way better <laughs> and uh and then all of these positives are kind of building on each other to build this confidence that you just 
hold on and hope for the best, but it's, uh, it's going to go. Okay. Wow. You actually amaze me. I was thinking about that yesterday. I was doing a workout with my eyes closed, doing a exercise and I kept putting my foot down because I'm totally off balance. And I was just, th- I couldn't stop thinking about you and you bike and you, you ride, um, snowmobiles and you backcountry ski and you just honestly, you're super inspiring and amazing, but I want to ask you because you push pretty hard and you challenge yourself, like you said, to learn every day. And in all of these things, you push hard, but is your reason to challenge yourself or is it to kind of inspire that generation coming behind you that they can do anything that they dream as well? I think it's, it's more, more of like an internal battle that like trying to push yourself and the, you know, potential to inspire a younger generation kind of comes with it. I think if you're going out and you're doing these things, and I think for the longest time I was just going out and doing these things just because I wanted to do it. And I, I still do that every day, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like the kind of the mindset has switched a little bit. I think since blind faith, it has opened a lot of opportunities and just doors kind of in the sense that like a lot of people reached out afterwards that, were and are in the same situation I am with visual impairments or kind of physical disabilities or just struggling kind of in any kind of capacity, lots of, you know, just mental battles and, and stuff like that. And just wondering like a little bit more in depth about this, my story. And I guess what the mentality is when you're going out and pushing yourself in these environments. And if you can showcase that, that either way I'm going out and doing it, if I can showcase it along the way and, and maybe inspire one or two people to go out and have fun and push themselves, then heck yeah, that's what I want to be doing. And, and like, I'm going to do it anyway. So let's, let's, uh, let's try and showcase it and, and see if we can kind of change the perception of what people, you know, a lot of times think that you're supposed to be doing because you're blind. Like when I was a little kid, I started ski racing and I'm so grateful that I did, but I started ski racing because of the mentality that we had to look for a sport before a visually impaired athlete, or I would have probably just continued riding my dirt bike and and, uh, who knows where we'd be. But I think, you know, if you asked eight-year-old me that blind or not just what I wanted to keep doing, I would have told you just keep doing what I was doing, but there was nobody out there doing it. So it wasn't really an option. So if you can show that we're out here trying at least, then maybe the next kid's their next people generation um, can come along and just, you know, keep one upping and people just build on that positive momentum. And it uh, kind of question of where, where can it go? Yeah. I think it's a ceiling. A a big piece is like going back to little eight year old Mac learning that he was blind, you know, not so much it, it being about choosing a Paralympic sport, but just about choosing to do what you really want to do and paving a path for, the younger ones coming up. Yeah, that's it. Don't do you what you really want to do instead of like feeling like you have to go a certain direction because that's the only direction that's available. That's such a, I, I guarantee you're inspiring the next generation. I know that. And you're doing it through doing what you love and being true to yourself. And I think that that's so cool. And Tristan, I want to talk to you a little bit about Terry Orlick. We've talked a bit about Terry before, and he kind of made me realize that I needed to have a why in skiing as well. Something bigger than just, you know, coming down and being in first, but learning from each day, um, being an energy giver to other people and making sure I had those in my life. And we talked about it on the chair, having deciding to do something and then doing it. But I know you read his book and what's your biggest, what would be your biggest takeaway from Terry? Terry was a sports psych I worked with, and he's also just He's kind of a, a yeah, pioneer in sports psych and he passed away this year. And so we've talked about him a little bit on different podcasts with people, but what was your key takeaway from Terry? Yeah, I, I think that book was just so amazing and like just opened my mind to so many new and valuable lessons. The biggest one for me was like on the days where you wake up and you don't feel good and you don't feel confident. I think that starts to instill a lot of self-doubt, which obviously, you know, whether you like it or not, or not will have an impact on your performance, you know, if you're not feeling confident and stuff, but just to remind yourself that you are the same person that you were when you were training really fast two days ago, you know, nothing's changed. You didn't get injured and blow your ACL. You didn't 
you know, have a concussion and forget all these amazing values and lessons that you have, like you're exactly the same person. And therefore you have the capacity inside of yourself to perform at that potential. And I think that was huge for me. Um, you know, on those days where you don't feel good or you don't feel confident just to remind yourself like, okay, nothing's changed from last week when I was skiing really fast GS. Like I, I didn't change my boots. I didn't change my skis. Like I'm exactly the same person that I was. Therefore I can do exactly what I was doing. And I think that, you know, being in ski racing, a place where so many things are changing all the time, whether it be the weather or the training venue or the course or your environment, like just to remind yourself that your potential doesn't change and your ability to perform is always there. And like, you can harness it and you can perform when you're not feeling good and you can perform when you're tired and you can perform when you're sick because it's in you. And I think for me, that was a big factor from that book. That's sick. Yeah. It's cool to hear his words again. It's been a while since I've read his books. And also I think what I took away from that too, is that even mentally you're the same, you know, if you are able to push confidently in training, you should be able to turn around and push confidently in a race. Cause sometimes our training Hills are way more gnarly than our races. And we stand there nervous in a race because we're scared of the outcome and doing it on a grand stage, but it's really just another day, another course. And we're the same people, same person. Okay. I'm going to let you guys go soon, but I, right now, Mac, you're rehabbing again. You yeah. herniated a disc and you're skiing a little bit. You get to go to Europe soon, but what's this? What's this next? How has it been? And what's this next stage looking like for you? It's been interesting. <laughs> you know, there was a long time. I think it attests to me being a young person, but when I was a lot younger, <laughs> I, uh, I was, I thought I was invincible. I was like, you can't kill me. This is, we're just going after it every day and nothing hurts and we're killing it. And then slowly, you know, injuries pile up over time and you can only push your body so hard, I guess. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think this back thing has been, you know, it's been like a three year process and you know lots of ups and downs and like i've learned a lot of really cool things like i'm not you know as focused on going out and just getting mileage in anymore you know really looking at that quality over quantity and along with like really like you hear a lot of people say trust in the process i'm just you know i'm trusting the process but i would say that a lot and like it took a long time for me to actually trust the process <laughs> um i think it's hard to I, do yeah it's very hard to do and i get way ahead of myself all of the time because I go skiing one day, I feel good. And I'm like, all right, let's go back to hundred <laughs> percent. And uh, It's uh, not the case most of the time. So it's, uh, it's been really cool and interesting, but I think it's also just been a consistent kind of beat down on the, on the mental side, you know, you're, you keep trying to doing everything you can and then you end up back down in the dumps. So like really just trying to find different ways to stay motivated and stay, kind of stoked is is the best way to put it and i think being able to go out and have some fun outside of skiing and then be able to bring that good energy back into uh to a training environment that can be very monotonous and and just feels like it's never going to end because you are in a very slow rehab process but i think changing things up you know and keeping things fun like the last couple of weeks seven, seven weeks or so we've been training here in trauma with, uh, with Scotty and taking a little bit of a different approach to how we're going to tackle this, this thing. And in a sense that we're doing a little bit more of retraining movement. And, and, uh, I think just having a focus has been really cool. And now we're back skiing again and we're going to, uh, we're going to Italy on Friday or what's that tomorrow, two days, two days from now, we're going over to Italy <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're going to give her another go. We were in Italy uh, two months ago and I ended up spending half the time on the hardwood floor on my back looking at the ceiling. So it's, uh, it's cool to be feeling good, feeling strong, finally building on, uh, on some really kind of key movements that we've been working on here. And now we're going to go put it to, put it to test on snow and hopefully, uh, <laughs> we have, we have a lot of crew around and Tristan to, to kind of keep the leash on them in a sense to make sure that we don't run too rampant with the skiing, but we're going to go and hopefully just, you know, 
get to get a bunch of laps in and just have some fun on skis again and then be able to start building on that uh that momentum to get after it a little bit hopefully rolling after christmas and into the new year and then you know if all things go well we'll be cruising at a pretty high clip by the time we uh by the time we roll into february march yeah i think the the cool part about training with scott obviously such a legend and yeah like yeah. just one of the most knowledgeable <laughs> coaches out there he had a really unique approach to this he said to mac and i like right at the beginning he said guys it could be three weeks it could be 10 weeks like you're gonna come here and i'm gonna train you until you're better you know i'm gonna train you until you're ready to ski not until december 16th because your flight is booked to italy and we need to ship you off to train for the olympics <laughs> you know it was just like we're gonna we're gonna be here we're gonna work hard and we're gonna do whatever it takes for you to be healthy um for marsh obviously and and then for the rest of your life because like dealing with injuries like i think we get so caught up in like getting healthy for this competition you know but you do have the whole rest of your life to you know live and for that <laughs> you know to free ski and sled and do all these awesome things and i think working with scott has been unique in the sense that there was no deadline you know it was yeah. just we're gonna push and and train and you're gonna be ready to ski when i say you're ready to ski and that was it you know yeah it's like that that trust that we were talking about earlier you go in and he immediately kind of instills that trust not just because he's a legend at what he does and he's so good at what he does but that's that's a big part of it like you know you trust people that are really experienced and not that you don't we didn't we're working with our our crew within alpine canada we obviously trust them and and uh i think we we, we love you Kayla. We love you, Kayla. <laughs> but, but just being able to have this like fully kind of be ex- extracted from the team completely and kind of put here and told that Scotty's Scotty's your main that's it you're listening to Scott and and a little bit with Pat as well who we've been working with Montreal kind of in kind of conjunction with Scott but both these guys just they're going to tell us what what's good and and we're going to train until we're better and I think that was a, a really cool feeling to really just I think buy into the process and and uh see where things go so it's been it's been sick i'm having a lot of fun right now i think it's cool too and scott seems to have a like an athlete first approach like his of course he wants you to be great by the olympics but he wants you to be great your whole life and i think that that's kind of helps the trust come into play when you feel important no matter what it's a it's a huge thanks and support with the bt10 crew um (laughs) they're the ones who made all this happen and um couldn't be more grateful I didn't think that we would be in this situation if you asked me a little while ago. So I couldn't be more stoked and more grateful to them and to Alpine Canada crew for facilitating that kind of partnership. Yeah. They've helped so many athletes. Okay. Now can we get cheesy just for the end question? (laughs) Oh yeah. Okay. Because obviously the podcast is called unspoken bravery, but (laughs) can you both tell me why you think the other person is brave? Is that too cheesy? Me first. You want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, (laughs) I think Mac is brave. I think he has one of the most amazing approaches to life in general because, you know, here he is faced with this kind of visual impairment, but obviously it's like degenerative and and like it's going to get worse over time. So to see Mac kind of take advantage of every opportunity because you know, he's not going to be able to do those things when he's older, 50, 60 riding sleds and and stuff like that, because, you know, that vision is going to get worse to the point where he won't be able to do these things anymore. And like to see him kind of cherish every opportunity and broaden his horizons and be so open-minded to every sport out there. And every opportunity has been really inspiring for me. And, you know, obviously having a visual impairment, you have to have so much trust in people and in yourself. Uh, It's like when you're doing something, like when you're riding a big mountain bike jump or like when you're cliff jumping and you're like, Oh my God, I've never done a gainer this big before. I don't know if I can do this. And then you bottle it all up and you just do like a three, two, one go. And you hope that everything's going to be okay. 
like that's kind of how every ski turn works for Mac, you know, like he engages the ski and if he looks directly at that gate, it completely disappears and he has no idea where it is anymore. So as soon as he engages that ski, it's kind of like a three, two, one go moment where you push on it and you hope that you're in the right place to make the arc. And I think that's one of the most insane things ever, you know, doing like a hundred kilometers an hour in a super G turn and having no idea where you are in that turn and just like engaging the ski and going with it and being like, Hey, I I've done this a hundred times before. Like, it's going to be okay. I, I could never do that. I don't think <laughs> I've <laughs> definitely <laughs> bodied myself a few times with them. Yeah. <laughs> Mac, you're incredible. And Tristan, you almost made me cry. I haven't almost cried yet on the pod. Don't cry. I, no, like a happy heartfelt, like that made my heart happy. And I think Mac, you are so incredibly brave and I couldn't have put it into words better. And I, I think you should go now before I actually cry. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even know what to say other than thanks for being, I'm, Tristan's flattering, and now I'm, I don't know what to say. I don't know how I can top with you, he's so nice. I'm not that cool. <laughs> but you, you know what, I think, like, you can attest to Tristan's bravery by, like, how he gets up every day and charges so hard with such enthusiasm, like, anybody that's ever been around him is just infected with this, like, stoked that he emits he's always so excited like 5 a.m he's up he's such a keener every day which is amazing and frustrating because <laughs> i don't know how he does it he gets out of bed we just like he'll, he'll still be in his bed and just be like let's go like, <laughs> it's ridiculous and then coming into like he just like for example he started skiing with me and fully committed to to guide for you know, dealing with me for four years. Like it was a trip to trip basis, but the first trip he said, I'm here for the long haul. Let's like get this bread. <laughs> and I think like, that's so incredible having not known me and he's still tackling like his, like I've been hurt. And instead of hanging out on the side, he's been like training as hard as he can every day and then jumping into races and still racing able-bodied throughout this whole last couple of years, which is just next level. Like, Nobody in the world can keep up with this guy. <laughs> and, you know, in the summers, like I've had, I've been known to like, you know, in, enjoy some of my off time. And I've had nights where I'll be, you know, coming home and Tristan will be leaving with his bike lights on to get, make sure he catches a sunset at sunrise. Sunrise. <laughs> I, I caught the sunset. He is definitely catching the sunrise. <laughs> and he's like bike lights on at three in the morning, wheeling out to go make sure that him and Britt can get to this sunrise. And it's, it's incredible to be around. And I, uh, I'm just so grateful to have, uh, you know, someone like him around to not only motivate me, but just remind me to have as much fun as he does every day. Thanks buddy. <laughs> yeah. And I think Tristan, you, we talked about it. Kindness is contagious and energy is contagious and you make us all want to be better people and to pass mm -hmm. that forward. And as you said, some people can be kind and you just notice their kindness and some people can be kind and you want to be a better person because you see their kindness. And I think that that, like Max said, that makes you so incredibly brave beyond all the other crazy things you guys are doing. But I wanted to give a huge shout out to both of you for coming on. Also for saving me. This is our holiday edition. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry um, yeah, happy holidays. Happy holidays. But I really look up to both of you. You inspire me so much. I learned so much. I'm going to re-listen to this. I hope other people did too, but you are both so brave and you don't talk about it. Sometimes you show it on these incredible documentaries and films. And if people want to follow you, everything is linked in the show notes, um, the film too, but thank you so much. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your cheering, your smiles, and above all for what you're doing to inspire other people to keep pushing forward and pushing more and more. Yeah. I think that definitely goes both ways. Um, Big time. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> just like growing up watching you and, and that team absolutely crush it on the world cup. Um, like for, for me, that was yeah. one of the reasons that I continued ski racing is just like watching you and, and Mitch and Britt just have so much fun and like, getting to become friends with someone who you looked up to so much 
and you know who five years ago didn't have an idea who you were like <laughs> oh, we had met the most amazing thing ever and yeah i couldn't be more thankful yeah no you're an absolute role model like i remember being being like everybody everybody was so scary to me when i was younger and you were one of those people and and it was only because i like i had so much respect for you guys and you were just up on a pedestal in my brain and you know thank you so much not for just ski racing and being a badass human being but for even doing what you're doing right now like we've listened to everyone in your podcast so far and they're super sick and i think just giving more insight to what's happening behind the scenes and i think that's a pretty incredible thing so thank you so much you're the best aaron <laughs> the dudes thank you and this is us signing off thank you see ya thank you for listening to unspoken bravery My goal with this podcast is to connect with you through real life experiences. So I would love to hear from you. A hello, feedback, future ideas, you name it. You can reach me on my Instagram account at Aaron Milzinski or head to my website, aaronmilzinski.com. If you like the podcast, please share, review and subscribe. I hope to see you back here to uncover your own hidden superhero.